Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Schaefer's Market Mashup. As promised, I have a very, very special guest with me today, author, analyst, world-renowned options expert, Don Fishback is here. Uh, His website is a gem in the investing world, uh, and he's here to chat about options valuation and probability. Don, how is Lexington, Kentucky treating you right about now? Right about now, it's perfect. Um, The weather's great. The trees are budding. Had a lot of rain and a lot of snow and ice uh, about a week and a half ago, but it's all warm. And March came in like a lion, and it's a little bit like a lamb right now. Wonderful. You know, I bet you Keeneland looks beautiful right now. Keeneland, that is, yes. The, the, the racetrack is gorgeous. The animals are beautiful. I don't know if you know the setting that we're in. I'm on, on the back road of Keeneland, and... So like I've got, I'm surrounded by large thoroughbred operations. Oh, that's amazing! The, yeah, the woman across the street from me, she owns. Um, she's the widow of Jess Jackson, who owned Kendall Jackson Wines, and there's a horse that she's got. Rachel Alexander's in the paddock right across the street from us, and uh, Barbara, she bought Rachel for thirty-two million dollars, and she's got. She's got another horse over there, Curlin. She paid they paid forty eight million wow. for that one. So there's you know it's it's a beautiful setting, and it, Keeneland is is gorgeous. I don't know if you know this, but Bernie was a big racing horse racing fan. I don't know if he's still in it, but we even had we even had a service back in the uh, late nineteen eighties called the morning option line, which was, you know, based off of the morning line yeah. that you would get for the odds. And we called it the morning option line. So, you know, he was really into racehorses back then. Wow. No, I did not know that. That's so, you know, I I Bernie and I go way back. Yeah, well that's that's a perfect He's a great guy. That's a perfect transition. Uh you know, we'll get to Bernie here in a second, but to start let's run through you and your history because you have you've you've been everywhere and all over the place take me back to how you got started yeah i got started as a broker back in 1984 as a commodities broker and i did that for a while but i was what i learned was that the brokerage business at least at the time the brokerage business was more in the sales and the analysis Mm -hmm. and i i always wanted to figure out how stuff operated and instead of doing the sales i was more interested in the analysis and i was fortunate enough that uh bernie and his partner at the time bob were back in 19 it was shortly after the stock market crash in 1987 they wanted to get into the uh commodity options business and i wanted to get out of the sales and into the analysis and it just so happened that one thing led to another, and we got together in March of 1988. And I had the good fortune of being by Bernie's side for 
five years and it was just a wonderful it was a wonderful experience i learned a lot i mean we the nice thing is bernie and i had a similar view of the way the markets function when we when we st- when i started there so it wasn't like i was having to relearn things he was very skeptical about consensus opinion and he was very very much in in the he had a very contrary opinion streak and because i had lived my life as a broker and i saw what the research departments at the brokerage firms were pushing out i developed a contrary opinion streak too mm-hmm. so it naturally it naturally worked together i think we both he learned a lot while i was there and i learned a huge amount while i was with him I mean, he's, he's just a great mentor. I mean, just a spectacular mentor. Good to hear. Good to hear. I, I know that I was attracted to the contrarian philosophy as as a writer. I, I, that's a fascinating way to explain and unpack a narrative, I think. When I found that this theme was throughout the website, I was like, yeah, I, I would love to write about this stuff. It sounds fascinating. And so I know you moved in on your own to 1993 um, talk about what how, how that got started and, and where it's at right now. Well, I got uh, I ended up going out on my own in 1993, and um, one of the things while I when, while I was working with Bertie, I remember vividly that he and I would have these conversations about the option pricing models, mm-hmm. especially the Black Shoals, and I remembered how. I remember vividly how frustrated he would get when he talked about uh, the unrealistic assumptions that the models made just so they would work. In fact, it, you know, one of the co-creators of Black Schultz, Fisher Black himself, is quote. I mean, there's a direct quote. He mm-hmm. says the Black Schultz formula is still around, even though it depends on at least ten unrealistic assumptions. Mm-hmm. Well, one of those unrealistic assumptions is the way that. Way the you assume that prices move in such a way that the returns of financial assets can be represented by a normal distribution, and that was I mean it would drive Bernie nuts because you know I mean part of it is you have to understand that there has to be this balance between uh, put call parity otherwise you get risk free trades but the other the one of the uh, side effects of that is that it means you can assume that there's no trend. And so, for instance, like the stock market has this persistent, you know, you go back to 1984 and the stock market has had this persistent drift higher, Mm -hmm. except for maybe between 2000 and 2010, there was a little bit of uh, back and forth. But generally speaking, the stock market has this trend higher and Black Scholl says, ignore that. That leads to inaccurate predictions of options returns that, you know, that this is what used to drive him nuts, pretty nuts. So basically, I wanted to get involved in the probability side. And um, in 1996, I created a program that captured some of the inconsistencies between theory and reality. And that method has been duplicated by a few others. Um, you and I were emailing back and forth and I asked you about Refinitiv. And if you had the icon, and if you, I don't know if you got a chance to see the historical return analysis they have, but 
those things they help, but they come up with their own set of limitations. So I basically for the next two decades, I continue to work on a solution. And the big key, the big key was that technological improvements in data storage and processing power have allowed me to create a model free method that delivers a probability distribution that does not have these unrealistic one size fits all assumptions. And we can do, we, we can just model probability and valuation without the limitations of some of those other methods. So that's what I do. You know, I, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit by saying, you know, things became easier when you had technology. It, it, it sounds like no one, you were obsessed with, with solving this puzzle and, and, and these probability models became your modus operandi. What insight did you have that was then aided by, you know, technology and allowing you to develop these tools? But what, what was your line of thinking like as, as these technologies were becoming more readily available? Oh, that's, that's a really interesting. Okay. There was a, an article that I read a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One, I, I created some probability tools that were based on the standard bell curve, which is, you know, which itself is a part of the Black Scholes option pricing formula. I mean, that's an inherent part of the option pricing formula. And in 1993, I developed a, a software program that charted the bell curve. And then um, in 1996, I created a probability cone. I call it the probability cone. Mm-hmm. It, you, you'll see this in TD Ameritrade. Fidelity's Fidelity. got it. Yep. Um, uh, E-Trade has it. So a lot of these companies have these probability cones. And the problem is, it's just kind of like what I was telling you about uh, would drive Bernie and me nuts is that you get some really nuts calculation results from some of these things. And so it was finding these, these flaws. And I'll give you a perfect example of mm-hmm. GameStop. This is from, this is from yesterday. GameStop yep. closed at $246 and 98 cents. You know, the bell curve is for those people that don't know it is a it's just a way to measure probability and it's the area under the bell curve is probability so if the the x-axis is going to be your standard deviations Mm -hmm. and then the area under the bell curve is going to be the probability so between plus and minus one standard deviation is about two-thirds well you can go you can Plus or minus two standard deviations is about 95% is the area under the bell curve. And if you get a little bit further out, you can get where the interior probability is about 98%, which means the two edges at the end, the tails, Mm -hmm. would be 1% on one side and 1% on the other. Well, if you use the math in GameStop where you say, what's the volatility, and I don't know if you're listeners know this, but volatility is standard deviation. Yes. If you use the volatility of the July expiration options, you find that the 1% boundary on the top end is $6,909. Now, that means that 
The GameStop options, the at the money options, mm-hmm. are assigning a one percent chance that GameStop will be above six thousand nine hundred nine on July sixteenth. Now, is that possible? Well, here's what has to happen: at six thousand nine hundred nine, GameStop would have to have a market. We would have a market cap that exceeds that of every company in the U.S. except for Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. So GameStop's market cap would be higher than Tesla, higher than J.P. Morgan, higher than Procter and Gamble, higher than Disney, Home Depot, Netflix, Berkshire. It would. You have to ask this: Is it is it realistic in the next four months that the market cap of GameStop will exceed the capitalization of all but five of these U.S. companies? And that's a, that's what I mean. It's an unrealistic probability to come out of these calculators that are based on a one-size-fits-all formula. And it's an example, it's a current example, of what had Bernie and me scratching our heads back in the 1980s. So those flaws, I began to pursue a solution shortly after opening up my own shop. Mm-hmm. And one of the, uh, Larry McMillan was a huge influence in that. I mean, I was reading his uh, option strategist newsletter when he did that, and he would talk about, he would put a break even, he'd come up with a trade and say break even, mm-hmm. and he'd say, uh, let's say the stock was at 20, and he would say, okay, the break even on this price is 15, was well, 25% below, right? Yeah. So how many times in the last five years did the stock move down 25% in 30 days? Mm-hmm. And he would count it. And so that was an influential part of it. And then I read an article in Wired Magazine, and it was titled The Data Deluge. And it was about how the difference between Google and Yahoo, and how Yahoo and Google had already started. This was the early days of Google. Right. It was, you could always tell, already tell that it was starting to overtake Yahoo and the other InfoSeq and some of the other search engines at the time. And it was the, the guy, he was the uh, head of development that he was talking about how instead of us trying to predict, create a model that predicted how, what people are going to want, we're just going to measure what they what they actually link to. And so we're going to measure it instead of model it. And I said, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, which kind of got along with Larry's thing. He didn't say what was the probability assigned by the volatility that the stock was going to drop 25% in 30 days. He measured it. How many times did it drop 25% in 30 days? And that was, that was the probability. I figure if Larry McMillan is measuring things instead of modeling it, and if Google is measuring things instead of modeling it, that's a pretty good idea. So I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what led to the development in 1996, where I my first version where I started modeling or measuring probability instead of modeling. Now I want to fast forward because lots of things happened since 1996, of course. You think .com... 2008 and now we're in the pandemic how are these 
probability models correlated to scheduled and unscheduled events like we've had in the you know in the past 20 years uh and, and what are some more recent examples of how that's changed really in, in the last yeah, decade that's that's a really good that's a really good point and um so the, the problem if you look at a bell curve you'll see mm-hmm. that it it's bunched up at the top and then as you get further towards either end it gets smoother and smoother yep. and lower and lower. And so if you say, okay, the probability is the area under the bell curve. Well, if you go very far out in either end, the area under those ends is tiny, tiny, tiny. Yes. So it's extremely small. So that's where you get this uh, concept of, of back tails is what it's called. Or as Taylor would say, the black swan, where you get these these aberration events, like a, a five standard deviation should happen once every five thousand years, mm-hmm. and yet we're seeing five standard deviation moves at GameStop exactly day after day, right? Exactly. Well, how can something that's supposed to happen every five thousand years happen back to back? And it's not just that. You look at the the bond market, the the thirty year bond is down i think it's down like 25 percent year to date mm-hmm. so or it's down 25 percent from its peak at least that those kinds of moves and in 2008 you were getting you were getting seven standard deviation moves in like three days in a row yeah well that's like that that shouldn't happen yeah that's like should happen i mean you think five thousand years that's longer than civilization <laughs> so these things should have these things should happen once in civilized humanity's existence, and they're happening. They've already happened a few yeah. times this year, and it's 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 not like we're in some special time. You know, nothing has changed. So we, the, the the way we model these things and measure them has to change. Yes, that's right. When you start using real world behavior, you start to see where the the models break down. And you can, the, the, the advantage that the real world probabilities give you in which the valuations are based on those real world probabilities, you take into consideration those fat tails. So you don't say a seven, a seven standard deviation event should happen once in the history of civilization. You say, how many times did it happen? Mm-hmm. Oh, we've gotten the seven standard deviation move 30 times in the last 20 years, then take that into consideration. And I think that's so much easier for a retail investor to wrap their head around. Is it not? Yes, it it is because the the formulas have certain advantages and they had, they had their time. What we do is not, is not hard, Mm -hmm. but it's very data intensive. I mean, we're talking about petabytes of, data and that that is something that you could not have done i mean terabytes of data would have been impossible for anybody to have done back in the in the 1970s yes impossible to conceptualize really yeah so but now that the technology is caught up and surpassed it i mean we build our to do this stuff we build our own computers and we use uh, video game cards 
from NVIDIA mm -hmm. because they are really good at crunching numbers. Well, you know, cards like that, they're $150 now or $500. Yes. They didn't even exist 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. and, it so, and it makes you wonder what, what are we about to embark on in the next 10 years? I don't even yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's just, it is, I think it's going to be really interesting. But I will say this. I, I don't think there are some things that will change. I mean, the, the notion of risk and reward and probability, you know, people say, well, why does probability matter? You know, Don, you're so hooked up, hooked up on probability. The reason I am is because probability determines the risk and reward of the trade. I mean, if you have a trade where the probability is 80%, and then you're going to have a certain risk and reward profile to that trade. If you have an 80% chance of profit, mm -hmm. then you have a 20% chance of loss, then that you need to get a certain return based on the risk in order to have what we call fair odds. So probability is crucial to determining um i mean i'll give you a, a classic example we use one of the things we use to uh determine probability and what we're looking at versus what we measure i'll give you like slv uh which is the silver, silver. i mean that thing got really popular here lately because the reddit folks yep. started thinking silver is going to be one of these things mm -hmm. and so SLV options, I mean, if you look at the open interest of some of these SLV options, you know, it's in like the top five of all options. Yes. So it's just, you know, out of nowhere, this SLVs come out of nowhere. Well, you can look at the option prices and determine what the probability people are assigning it. And I'll give you an example. So SLV, it was at uh, this was for Monday. The price was twenty three thirty two. So you could look at the March nineteenth options, mm -hmm. the March nineteenth expiry, and look at the twenty five call and the twenty five uh, twenty five fifty call. Mm -hmm. the, the risk is the five cents. The profit potential is the difference in strikes minus the net debit, which is forty five cents, and the break even is the strike of the call you're buying plus the net debit of five cents. So your break-even is 25.05. Well, your risk is five cents and your profit potential is 45 cents. When you look at that and just with some real simple math, you can see that that, that price implies a probability of 10%. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, there's a price implied probability of being above 25.05 at expiration, a 10% chance of that. And you can do, we can go through some examples, but anyway, that's, we look at those prices, we get what people are expecting through the prices, the price implied probabilities. And then we look at where that stuff is, is might be off, where the, the implied probabilities of prices are vastly different than the measured probabilities. I think that's so important, especially when you consider the recent two months of the Reddit crowd, 
where it looks like they're just throwing darts blindly out there. And you, you can't do that. You can't just pick the next GameStop, right? Yes. Well, all right. So I actually got two things to say about that. Mm-hmm. First off, in most circumstances, you know, generally speaking, you can't just throw darts. <laughs> they used to have a, a Wall Street dartboard contest where you had to compete against a dartboard and Bernie was a participant in that and actually did real well where he would, you know, it would be him and some other advisors that would have to pick a stock and then the Wall Street Journal's take, they take, so there's like four advisors and then they take four darts and throw it at the, you know, Wall Street Journal hanging up on a dartboard and they pick those stocks. And he actually did really, he did really good at those competitions. I remember that. Wow. That, that sounds <laughs> I fun. I forgotten about that. Yeah. But the dartboard, now the dartboard actually beat most advisors. That was the other sad part, which, Ooh. you know, you talk about contrary opinion, that'll reinforce that. But um, generally speaking, you cannot throw darts and expect to come out whole. You, you tend to, it's better to have some kind of systematic method. Mm-hmm. And that's what our value and probability does it gives you a systematic method where you look for inefficiencies where there might be some mispricing just like Warren Buffett does with his value investing he looks for inefficiencies where he can buy something cheap and so which is becoming harder and harder to do on the because so many other people are doing what he does but I did want to mention something you know you talk about GameStop there's one thing that you can do with options that will help you spot a game a potential GameStop opportunity and it's where you use for those of the, that don't know what put call parity is it's the time value of a similar strike call and put they have to be equal so if the stock is at 50 this is assuming no dividends stocks at 50 if the 50 call is priced at four then the 50 put has to be priced at four it has to be yep. otherwise there's some risk-free trade I get, I'm actually doing a, a webinar on this. Um, uh, we did one before, but we're going to do a repeat. It's really interactive where we ask people a lot of questions on like clearing and, you know, can brokers get margin calls? Uh, what's the risk in a short sale? Things, things along those lines. I'll put something in the slide deck so that people can uh, download the slide deck and maybe uh, if they want to go to this and register for the webinar, they oh, can. Absolutely, but you can use it's called it's called the negative. It's called the implied borrow rate, and you can look at option prices and get an idea of the short selling intensity live. Ooh, you get it. You get it live. You don't. So you're not. You know, most people have to wait until the short sales figures come out. Right, which monthly. takes takes a while takes a while this is something that you can get live any day and it's it's really interesting and, and again it just lends to say that you know you you always have to have that nuanced look at things and, and, and I can draw a connecting thread to you and Bernie the dynamic duo back in you know <laughs> the late 80s you know the contrarian philosophy to start 
and then you ran with your obsession, you know, uh, the good obsession. You know, you were obsessed with figuring out, out this puzzle into the probability. The, the, there is such it, to me, it seems like a straight line between uh-huh. between the contrarianism and finding value, you know, through probability. And the reason that happened is you, you I think you're right on with the contrarian part. Bernie and I never. We, we always had a deep skepticism of consensus opinion. You know, the, he, he was a big believer in that, um, I think it's Humphrey, is it Humphrey O'Neill, the art of contrary opinion? But we both, we both were like that. We both had this, this skepticism of the consensus view. He used that in a way to uh, make directional picks on options based on his uh, view of the stock and I used it in a different way that I was going to look for uh, those un- how to solve the puzzle of the unrealistic assumptions in the in the option models right. but it's, you know it's a similar it's driven by a similar point of view mm-hmm. that we neither one of us believed in the consensus at the time. On the note of Bernie here, as we're, we're, we're starting to wrap up, I have a, a source that I will not confirm that there is a picture oh, that there is a picture out there circulating of you two. I think maybe in the late '80s. Do you care to comment on that, or do you want a representative with you? I haven't seen it. I just know there's some oh. crazy picture out there. Okay, um, yeah, Bernie and I. Oh, we were the only newsletter people that would go to these options industry conferences Mm -hmm. that they would have. And as both of us were horse racing fans, they happened to have these stupid things on the exact wrong. It was Derby day. They would have it on freaking Derby day, the first weekend in May. And it was, it would drive us nuts, but we, we would go to these things. Yeah. There's a picture of the two of us back. Yeah. I think that's like, it might be like 1991 or something like that. I can't remember which we did. We went to Florida. They were always in Florida, mm-hmm. and yeah, he would go play tennis, and I would go. I, I would hang out by the pool with my wife, and I don't know if Kathy came along with this or or not. So yeah, that was yeah. I've got a picture. I'll I'll, I'll put. I could put that in the handout. <laughs> that would, yeah, that would be really the clincher right there. Uh, but yeah. yeah, that's that's just funny that they would do that on Derby. I have a lot of very fond memories of Bernie. Good. He, like I said, he was a great member, a great great mentor. I have a lot of very fond memories of Katie. Um, sometimes she would come over. You know, Kathy would bring Katie over to the uh, over to the office. Mm-hmm. And Bernie would get busy, and I'd end up playing on the floor with Katie to keep her occupied while he was doing whatever he needed to do. That's great. And it was it was a lot of fun. It's it is remarkable to see her in the position that she's in now. Oh, she's outstanding. We 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 love her here, and that's that's not just podcast talk here that's that's coming from me myself uh you know we we couldn't be happier that she's in charge and i'm I'm so glad we were able to to link up here anything else you want to close with and just yeah i'm going to give you the floor yeah 
Yeah, the uh, if anybody, we've got a special website set up for anybody that wants to tune in to our webinar. Uh, it's going to be next week. Um, it's going to be on the implied borrow rate. And it's got the, the catchiest title you'd ever want. It's like, how to use risk-free trades to spot the next GameStop. Oh, that's people yeah. are going to flock to that. Well, because what we're going to do is we're going to use the the basic principles of a risk-free options trade called a conversion reversal. And when you look at certain factors with the conversion reversal, which is the risk-free, when there's certain factors present, it signals that the conditions are ripe for a major short squeeze. So we'll... We will get into that. It's about an hour. I can tell you, it's a repeat that um, we did it live once, and we're going to do it live again. But last time we did it, it took about an hour. Okay. But you're going to learn about risk-free options trades, when they exist, when they don't, what's one of the factors that's going that determines whether it exists, and is is the thing that the highly shorted stocks like GameStop rallying like that with a short squeeze was that is that unusual for 2020 and 2021 or was that different than than previously so we'll get into all of that and um it's it's going to be a really good it's going to be a really good uh webinar great people can tune in. that's exciting stuff everybody's going to get the slide deck oh yeah the slide uh, deck we didn't, we didn't we didn't get into all of the, the everything, but I've got slides that talk about a lot of this. And when I talked about how you can use option prices to predict probability and probability to predict option prices, you we get into some real simple examples in the slide deck. So that's wonderful. That explain a lot of what we we just talked about so be sure to check that out and keep a lookout on our site for when, when we plug that and then check out don's site as well uh otherwise i mean don fishback is great great to have you on uh looking forward to maybe linking up again maybe in the summer we can keep up the discussion but couldn't thank you enough for taking the time excellent all right go cats don okay we'll see you there all right take care